Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk or end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Um, so I think I've mentioned this before. I have three boys, and the, the middle one turned 12 this, this past weekend. And, and I did ask him how would he like to celebrate this special day? And, and he said he'd like a real homemade cake, nothing else, just a really good cake. And, and since he sort of stressed the fact that it needs to be homemade, I just couldn't go to the bakery and, and get one. So I figured, yeah, let me bake a cake because it's been a couple of years since I've, I've tried this. And, and how I approach baking, I, I, I like to think I approach that like coding. I check the ingredients list. I gather all of those, I go to the store, get whatever is missing, and then I get to work. So this was on a Saturday because I knew that by Sunday I would have to have the cake. So I started prepping on Saturday. And the first line of the instruction goes, add breadcrumbs. And I'm like, hold on, that's not on the list of the ingredients. I have everything, but this is not mentioned in there. It's, it's as if you're trying to use a class from a namespace you haven't references. You just don't do that. And I did manage to complete the whole cake. And I, I think I spent about three hours on that total. And, and probably somebody pro could do that in 40 minutes. Uh, but it was, it was fairly good. And, and we had some friends over, so, so we all ate the cake and enjoyed that one. I might even include a picture in the show notes, but that's probably the most significant accomplishment I've, I've done in the past week. Nice. I like this idea. And, and also the fact that you did not spend five minutes clicking something on the web to order something, but instead I actually had to spend quite some time to, to produce something and then you ate it. So that's nice. Uh, it's the same, same deal with cooking in our house. Uh, when, when one of the kids wishes for a birthday dish, it's usually something that I have to cook. Uh, but I enjoy that, so that's pretty nice. So on my side, you know, remember how I made a mulled wine in November, which was then ready in December, just in yep. time for, for holidays? So someone asked me the other day to share how that turned out, because I'm not sure if I actually did that. So, so here goes a short story about that. Um, it was actually a pretty great result, but the key takeaway, use less sugar than the recipe, perhaps a lot less. So it has so much sugar in it that it's sticky. When you pour it into a glass and you get some on the side of the glass and you, and you try to pick up the glass and put it down, your, your finger is stuck to the glass. That's how much sugar is on it. Um, so perhaps a little bit too much, but sugar also helps with the fermentation and, and you know, producing the alcohol in a way. But I, I would definitely probably half the amount of sugar for the next time. Um, so the TLDR for making mulled wine, as someone asked me, is get a big bucket or like a container, preferably a stainless steel. Then in Sweden, we have something called Svagdrika. And like the literal translation is weak drink. And that's like a form of sweet, dark, low alcohol malt beverage or like a small ale, if you want. Then raisin, carnation seeds, uh, cardamom, yeast, potatoes, sugar, bitter, orange peel, ginger, and a cinnamon stick or a couple of them. Um, I also added a few vanillas, so uh, some vanilla sticks. Um, I opened those up and chopped them up and, and threw them in there. Then you just mix it, let it sit just below room temperature for about uh, four to six weeks. Then you filter, you bottle, and then you enjoy. So it's super, super simple. There is almost no way you can make this go wrong unless the temperature in the room is too low or too high. So the yeast will die or, you know, um, not work um, as such. So room temperature roundabouts is pretty good. I think I had 18 or 19 degrees Celsius, which was perfect. Um, and then it's also perfectly fine for, for next year. So I, you know, the result of my batch was about eight liters and we don't drink that much in our house. So I could give some bottles away to family and friends uh, for Christmas. And then I have 
maybe another four liters uh, that I can now preserve for the next year. And they say when you save it for the next year, it's going to be a lot better. So let's see in a year from now when, when we try to open the existing bottles, if they are indeed better. Uh, but I will probably try to make a new batch next year without the uh, extreme amounts of sugar because sugar is not really my thing. So it's too sweet for me to drink anyway. And someone also asked like the alcohol levels. When you do this yourself, do you get alcohol and is it worth it? Uh, which was an odd question to me because if alcohol equals, is it worth it? Well, I mean, that's probably highly personal. I don't drink a lot of alcohol. So there's a, for me, that is, you know, an irrelevant question. I estimate that this perhaps was about 14%, but I have not measured. So it is, yeah, next time maybe we'll measure it with a device, but give or take 14%. That's my estimation. And that, that's our collective estimation when I asked, because it's, it's, it's giving you the same buzz as if you had a, a glass of Amarone, Amarone. So something like that. So that's the short story of my mold wine, the results. And if you want to do it yourself, now you can, or you can just Google mold wine recipe and you will then pretty much get the same steps that I just said. So that's it. It, it, it sounds really good. And, and perhaps one day when, again, we get to travel, we'll sit down, we'll record like five episodes while enjoying the mulled wine at the same time. And, and then, then sort of give our tasting notes at the same time. Alrighty. So this is episode 121, cost optimization in the Azure Well-Architected Framework. So we've talked about VAF well-architected framework, not the, the web application firewall. We've talked about that in episode 41. So that was in August 2020. So I was thinking, let's perhaps not rehash the whole VAF in this episode, because we've already done that. And all of that we said at the time still stands. But I'd, I, I'd say in, in one sentence that VAF, the well-architected framework, it's a collection of best practices for a proper and well-working architecture and deployment in Azure. Would you agree on this or, or would you characterize this differently? I, I think you hit the nail there. It's uh, exactly what you said. I, I like a collection of best practice and, and well-working architecture. I, I like the phrasing of that because that's essentially what it is, right? It's, it's something to guide you, but it's not a blueprint for this is how you need to do 100% of everything in your organization but it is something that you can come back to and, and when you're not sure how to do something or when you need to take a look at, for example, security or uh, cost optimization or whatever, and you don't know the capabilities or you don't know where to even start, this is a great thing uh, to start with. But it's also something that I use regularly in, in my current role where I operate distributed cloud solutions. I am in charge of all the, the cost we have, the security we have, and the performance we have, everything we have around our cloud solutions, I'm in charge of. And sometimes um, you have challenges, like how do you make backups? How do you do this? How do you plan for those things? And then I find myself coming back to two things. One is the cloud adoption framework, which is something else uh, that we also will probably talk more about in the future. And also the WAF, which is the well-architected framework. And I always find nuggets of information in here that I did not think about or and that will guide me in the right direction. So it's, it's just exactly as you say, like real world applicable guidance, and, but not a blueprint for this is the only way you need to do things in the cloud, because obviously every organization has unique requirements. So you always have to work around that. And, but this is a, a super great either starting point if you're getting started or a point that I come back to as a reference guidance all the time. Um, so, so you hit the head on the nail there. Yeah, and, and how I like to think about VAF, the Well-Architected Framework, and this is the last time I am saying the full name, but how I like to think about it is, is that it's not a hands-on guide on this is how you configure X. It's, it's more about concepts and ideas and, and things to think through when you're planning or deploying or scaling or optimizing things. And further down, the VAF breaks down into five pillars. So there's reliability, security, cost optimization, operational excellence, and performance efficiency. 
And, and today, let's focus on cost optimization. And I, I, I think we have the hope and dream that in, in future episodes, we'll tackle the other pillars as well. So today, we'll focus on, on cost optimization as part of VAF. So what would you say, before we sort of dive deeper into the different aspects of cost optimization, what would you say are the main takeaways from, from this pillar of VAF? Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I, <laughs> I have a lot of takeaways here, but I think if I had to boil it down to, uh, let's say, the, the top three takeaways that I would have, I would see, say that you need to monitor and analyze all of your costs, right? And that's, that's something, if you walk through all the guidance for cost optimization, this is the number one thing I think you should have as a takeaway. You need to monitor and analyze all your existing costs because cost insight is important. Because if you don't know where you're spending, you also don't know how to optimize it. So that's number one. Number two would be like utilize all the capacity you have allocated. So for example, maximize the, maximize the efficiency of the cloud environment you have. Um, so if you have allocated, I don't know, a VM of a specific size, make sure that you actually use all the resources uh, on that VM. Or same with compute workloads, same with databases, same with anything, right? So don't over-provision or, or don't create a bigger tiers than you're using. Because sometimes I see companies, they kind of prepare for the future growth. And they say, let's go on this premium uh, V3 um, three, uh, compute plan. But they have 10 users. And it doesn't make sense, right? They are overpaying by a long shot. Instead, you should have auto-scaling and things to automatically meet the demands uh, you know, when, when the demand arises. So that would be number two, utilize like all the capacity you have allocated. And then I, I would say number three is perhaps ultimately you should think of provisioning resources that are optimized for cost as well. So don't just think that, okay, now you need a database. Let's put some kind of database. Or now you need to have a web app. Now let's put some kind of web app. Think about what you deploy and think about how you deploy them. And anything you deploy should be optimized for cost. Now, Something that is, you know, also apparent in the in the WAF and also in the in the CAF, the cloud adoption framework, and in all general guidance, is there's always a trade-off, right? So if I had to add like a fourth thing, is understand the trade-offs. With all the different pillars in the in the WAF, you will also have trade-offs because if you want to really optimize all the cost, you have to have a trade-off with security and performance and operational excellence and and you know, other things like reliability. You cannot optimize 100% of costs because that means removing things. And if you remove like this, uh, the firewall, which might be expensive, well, then you optimize for cost, but you remove the layer of security, right? So that doesn't make sense. So if I had to add a number four is understand the trade-offs and justify the cost when necessary. So in, in my position that I work with today is I have to do this every day. I have to secure everything, but I also have to optimize the cost. So sometimes there is room for optimization for the cost, technically, where we could say, let's remove this and this, and then we will reduce the cost. But that comes with a sacrifice of security. And we cannot do that because security is more important than saving a few bucks. So everything comes with a trade-off. So, so those would be kind of my four takeaways. So, so if you keep those in mind as we go through this, uh, this episode and talk about the cost optimization pillar, then then hopefully that makes sense by the end. Yeah, I, I really like these main takeaways. Can I add just a fifth one? Because this this popped into my mind while I was listening to you going to sort of the main key takeaways here. The fifth one I would add, and this doesn't apply perhaps to all customers, but especially in the enterprise, is, is to optimize cost for a just-in-time approach. And, and quite often, I wouldn't say weekly, but perhaps on a, on a yearly basis, I get access to perhaps audits or troubleshoot an Azure environment. And, and every time there is something provisioned already that's not used yet. And often it's something insanely expensive, like a huge VM or a, a fixed express route setup that's costing thousands and thousands of euros per month. And then when you're going through the list of resources, you ask, hey, so what's this for? Oh, that was for a test, but we didn't, we didn't go ahead with that yet. So we'll look into that next year. So why is it running now? 
Well, it was so complex to set up, so we just decided to leave it there. Is it costly? Yes, it is. So I'm, I'm sort of a fan of this just-in-time, especially for those commitments where you know ahead that this is going to be costly. Let's do this on the last possible minute. But now on the, on the cost optimization, let's start with the first one, and that would be design. And, and when I read through and we prepared for this episode by reading through everything on, on, on WAF, when I was preparing for this one, I got the realization that design is about creating a cost model. So this is not about designing how much money do I have in the wallet and how much can I afford to pay for this. This is about creating a cost model on who is responsible for which cost. Do we need any cost constraints? Uh, do we need trade-offs? Do we have billing models? Sort of the, the basics of cost is, is designed here. Would you agree? Or, or would you sort of see it differently? Uh, so I have a lot of thoughts on, on, on this because I, I work with this a lot. But I, I think, uh, you know, per the definition cost model, I think this is uh, fairly accurate because it's like it's generally an exercise in, in your organization where you create like logical groups of cloud resources and then you map that to the organization's hierarchy or however your organization work. And then you estimate the cost for those different groups. And that's what I do as well for how I operate our cloud environments. And so the goal here is to kind of get the overall cost of the organization in the cloud. And now, of course, for, for our organization that I work with right now, we're not, not that huge. So it's, uh, it's a doable task for one or two people. Uh, but usually when we do it with customers, it involves quite a few stakeholders. And then, you know, the, the importance of the cost model is higher. So I, I would not neglect that and say, well, we don't need the design phase because it's only about modeling something. No, it's, I would say that's a, a pretty critical phase. You can always estimate um, uh, optimize costs after the, the resources are created because you'll get the advisory from Azure Advisor. We'll talk about that in a bit. So you can always do that as a, like in hindsight. But what will really help you, you know, in, the, in the near future, but also in the long term is this type of design and cost modeling. So essentially, it's a huge checklist on all aspects of cost models. Um, so estimate the initial cost and you know, designing within the cost limits and understanding your organizational structure. And if you have different cost buckets or departments and cost centers, stuff like this. And uh, like you mentioned, uh, the, the different cost constraints you might have. Uh, and like we, we both mentioned, the, the trade-offs. You might have different trade-offs for different things. And, and these are super important to understand. And that's why you do this in the kind of design phase. Um, and just to, to iterate the, like the design phase here within the cost optimization does not mean that you can only do this when you get started before you have anything in the cloud. This is also 100% applicable if you're already in the cloud, you're well on your cloud journey, like, like I am. We have everything deployed. We're operating a production solution with a globally distributed SaaS solution to you know customers all over the world, uh, but still, I need to optimize costs. I need to ensure security. I need to increase the performance. I need to do all these things that in, is included in the WAF. So I always come back to the WAF and also the design phase because that makes me think. Take a step back, take a look at what we have, take a look at what can we do better, and you know do the cost model, um, you know based on our current situation. And then try to paint a picture of where you want to go in the future, if there's something you can optimize. And it's not just about optimizing the resources you use, but also optimizing perhaps how you work and how you deploy things and how you request resources and, and who can grant you those resources. So there's a lot of things involved, of course, in, in that one small uh, phase or, or section of the cost optimization. But I, I think it's imperative to take a look at that, whether you're already well on your cloud journey, or if you're just getting started. So, so that, that's you know, my takeaway for, for the design phase. That's, it is crucial to really take a step back and analyze what you have and where you want to be, because then you can really make plans for that. I really like this. And, and looking at just the chapter titles on, on docsmicrosoft.com for, for WAF, it's, it's about capturing and considering things, capturing the knowledge, considering 
the different trade-offs and cost constraints and, and whatnot. So this has nothing to do with technology so far. This is about thinking ahead. How do we want to manage cost? I would perhaps make an analogy here that designing for cost optimization is a bit like building a culture within a company. Because as part of the culture, you have to consider the finance culture. How do we treat travel expenses? How do we um, give rewards to, to employees? And, and things like this. So this is the same. So after design, we have a provision. And how I approach this is the provision bits in, in cost optimization is a rundown on what do things cost in Azure? What's a fixed cost? What's a variable cost? And should we, do we understand how the cost is, is accumulating over the weeks? So, so for me, perhaps the provision bit was the easiest to understand because quite often when you're working with a customer, they are perhaps asking for three new virtual machines. So, so you sort of already know the rough price points that a burstable VM costs X and uh, a VM with a massive amount of memory costs Y. So, so let's think through what, what do we actually need so that we can calculate the total cost for this or at least the estimate for this. So when you were going through this, were all of the bits in the provision part, were they something that you know by heart? Or is this something you come back every now and then to, to sort of digest new information that, oh, I need to provision a machine learning solution. Let's see what I should think about this. That's a great question. And you know, if, if I said here that, yeah, sure, I know all of these things by heart, then I would be lying. And I think anyone would be lying if they said that. Uh, so I always come back to uh, both the guidance here, but also you know, a, a big portion of the provisioning phase to me is using uh, the Azure pricing calculator. So that's a, a, perhaps a more tangible uh, approach to, to this phase where you now know, okay, we have designed our cloud architecture. We do have a you know, a vague or a very accurate picture of where we want to be. And that means we now need a couple of web apps, a couple of VMs, a couple of databases, and, you know, some NoSQL deployments, whatever, whatever you need. And, you know, the next thing is how do you provision those and how do you know what the cost of that provision is going to cost you? Well, the number one thing is come back to the uh, Azure pricing calculator, put all the numbers in there. Like you're going to have these three VMs that you mentioned, and you might have two web apps and you might have, uh, web apps in different regions for high availability scenarios or whatever it is. And then you just put all of that in there. And when you've done that, you will get like an estimation of these are, are the um, roundabout costs that you will have for these resources if they run as you say they will run. One thing that is important to think about here is like when you go to the guidance, it's going to say, well, you can use the Azure pricing calculator and you can just put in the numbers. What is often overlooked is, for example, you know, something we might talk about later and, and also in the different pillars is how do you handle scale, right? Scale usually means you enable auto scaling. So all of a sudden in your pricing calculator, you said, I'm going to have two web apps on this tier. That's going to cost me 500 euros a month per web app. But after a month or two months or a year, you enable auto scaling saying, let's meet the demand as it comes in. So the more users we have, just scale up the instances or scale out the instances we have or scale up the tier even but usually you just scale out the instances. This is something you need to take into consideration into the pricing calculator as well. You know, where are you today? This is what you want to deploy, but what could happen if you get a spike in load, uh, if you get more users than you expected, or if you meet the expectations that you have with the user load or uh, you know, the load on the system and you need to scale out or even scale up, take that into consideration already now, put that into the calculator and overestimate the cost. Because if you overestimate the cost in a way, you will always be smiling when you see that we optimized it at the end, uh, as opposed to saying that if everything 100% works out according to plan, this will be the number that we have to pay. Because that will never be the number you have to pay in reality. Uh, it might be less, but oftentimes it's quite a lot more. Because you perhaps did not anticipate the cost of data between a web app and a storage account if they're in different regions. If they're in the same region, that transaction fee is none, right? So anything that happens from a storage account, for example, to a web app or to something else, 
uh, you know, in the same region transactions, there, there is no cost. But if you have two regions, one in the US and one in Europe, or even two in Europe, and you send data between those, you have to pay for the transaction as well. And this is oftentimes overlooked. So think about these things. Take Again, take a step back, go back to the design phase and think about these things. Multi-GEO as well. What is going to cost me if I have like inter-data center communication and how much data? Um, so in my case, we send hundreds of, of millions and up to billion uh, of transactions to storage accounts per month across many storage accounts. We realize we have to do that in the same region. And then we take kind of the, the core data or the computer data or the, the summary data that we need out to send to the different regions as applicable. But for this, this heavy hitting, keep that within the region. So there's a lot of things to, to think about. So I, I really like this approach of provisioning, but you know, I can go on and on about lessons learned here. And I'm not going to do that because then the episode will you know, be ultimately five hours long. But to answer the, the super quick question there is... Yeah, I come back to the documentation all the time. So provisioning is important. It's important to understand the cost you have, but do take into consideration the future, uh, the growth, unexpected costs, and really understand the cost. Don't just go to the calculator, put a number in, and then go and say, okay, this is going to cost us now this much per month. It's not ever that easy, unless you just deploy a web app and a function app, and, and it doesn't really do much. But if you have something that scales with customers and it's globally distributed, then there's a lot of things to think about. So I, I like this, this portion as well. Um, and then also within this provisioning thing uh, in the WAF, you can go there to the provisioning phase and then click, for example, compute. And then you will see like IAAS, PAAS, FAAS, function as a service. You can see these different things and you'll also get recommendations like, what are the main cost drivers for Azure services? And are there payment options for VMs to help meet my budget? And there's, there's going to be a bunch of questions that you can think about and things, uh, questions that you can answer yourself. And then you also have the answers in the text, in the guidance saying, think about these things because this will open your eyes. It, it opened my eyes all the time. So I come back here often and I read through it and, and I have an aha moment thinking, ah, right, I forgot that or I didn't think about that or yes, this matched my expectation, which means I'm on the right track and I'm even more confident in the decision moving forward. So um, definitely a good guidance. And, and again, we'll put all the links to these different things in the, in the show notes, of course. One of the things that I always do when I'm designing a setup is that I use the Azure pricing calculator to design two models. One is sort of the ideal model. This is what we're aiming for. The other is sort of the worst case scenario. Okay, we need to scale up things. We need to do different replication setups, perhaps use an enterprise license for something. And then I share the, the designs with the customer or the team working on the solution. Because when you use Azure Pricing Calculator, you can get a unique link and they can return later to that design and tweak that a little bit to, to sort of see how they could perhaps save up on or or how the cost is accumulating what's the most expensive thing and what's really not relevant in there and i find this helpful to to design something first come back to that two weeks later with with with, with your added thoughts and insights okay maybe i need to tweak this a little bit oh that affects the price like this Alrighty. so after provisioning we have monitoring and I, I think we've, we've talked about Azure Monitor, obviously, a couple of times already in this show. But in, in this bit, I feel monitoring is, is especially crucial for cost, building a reporting approach, and, and getting used to using the cost views and analyzing the costs. So how do you approach this in, in, in practice now with the costs that you're accumulating in Azure? So, so this is where I, where I say, well, my first um, initiation to cost best practices when I got a bill that was $20,000 above my expected bill, which was supposed to be $2,000. So I had about a 1,000% increase in my bill. That was uh, perhaps uh, the wrong type of introduction to cost analysis. But from that day forward, I know everything I do needs to be cost optimized. optimized. And so 
I mean, you have in, if you go to your subscription or even a resource group or even a resource, then you can see that there is something called cost analysis. And there's now also a cost analysis preview in the Azure portal. It's been in preview for some time. I'm not sure when it will flip over and go GA, um, but, but it's available now. So you can go into your Azure portal. So click your subscription and then go to uh, cost analysis and you will see, or cost management, and you will see the cost analysis. So you can use either the built-in existing view um, or the existing tool, or you can go to the preview tool. They're just next to one another in the menu. And from here, you can set up cost alerts and budgets, super important. So a budget is something you set up where you say that I estimate that I need to spend 15,000 euros or dollars in any 30-day period, right? And then you can set up cost alerts along the route saying that if the forecasted cost goes above that limit, alert me at 20%, at 40%, at 60%, whatever you want, uh, or if the actual cost goes above. Now, the difference between actual cost and forecasted cost is super important, but also super beneficial. The actual cost is something that you will get an alert after the fact, right? You just spent $20,000. I'm sending you an alert. Or you just spent $10,000 out of your $20,000 budget. So now you're at 50%. So that happens after the fact that you spend it. The forecasted cost is looking at all the things you have deployed. And it understands how you use it. It understands the patterns. And it will say that I forecast that this cost will now be going up to 30000 if you keep up the current configuration and workload. And then you can either prepare, prepare internally and say, okay, we need more money, or prepare for a better cost optimization saying we don't actually utilize all these things. We can tune down certain things. Because then you can do it before you actually have to pay that bill. Because the forecast is something looking at how are you using things right now? And if you continue with the same pattern, the cost at the end of the month or the end of the 30-day or 60-day or 90-day period, whatever you want, is going to be this. So that's super important. So you have this like reviewing um, of the cost and, and you can also like do uh, create your own views here. So you can group cost by resource type, um, which is something I do regularly. And then I can see that, well, my app services are expensive, but log analytics, oh, oh, wow. We're now ingesting so much more data than we did only a month ago. Now we need to think about if we can optimize something there. And taken from real world, that's what happened to us. We got a bill with log analytics, which was you know, incredibly high because we had turned on telemetry for a couple of things. Um, and then the system, we got so much, um, so many more users, so many more customers so we got more customers, we got more use of our entire platform, so it scaled up and scaled out, but that also meant a lot more telemetry. Uh, so we had to optimize what we actually do with the telemetry. So we, we reduced the amount of logging, we reduced the amount of things we sent to log analytics and say, let's only send the most critical things unless you actually enable telemetry specifically for a certain amount of time, which then reduced the, the cost drastically and the forecast changed in one or two days saying, okay, now you're on a good track and you will actually stay within the budget. Um, so monitoring, super duper important. Um, and, and my go-to tool here is the cost management. So in Azure portal, go to cost management, cost analysis, either the, the preview, the new one or the old one, doesn't really matter. And from here, you can really paint an accurate picture of your current cost, your forecasted cost. And also then you can learn kind of how to improve and make things better. One of the things we mentioned in the, uh, the previous Azure update episode, I think it was episode 120, was a couple of updates to cost management. One was the tabbed view in the preview. And, and I'm really liking it now because often I need to analyze cost based on resources. But then I need to drill down on resource groups to sort of identify perhaps which project is, is causing a spike in the costs. So the tabbed view, but also the cost inside. I think you mentioned that in, in the Azure update episode that it's a new feature in preview. You need to enable that. And then it's using machine learning to see the patterns of usage for the past 60 days. And it's, right. it's coming back to you to tell that, okay, I am seeing a growth or decrease in your daily spent. And 
I've been using this now for a couple of days and I'm finally now getting the insights. And I can see that in December, which was about two months ago, my daily run rate went down 9%. So I think I'm saving my money or somebody else's money here. But this I feel nice. <laughs> this I feel uh, fits in monitoring, but also in the last bit of the cost optimization pillar, which is optimizing. Because you need to continuously optimize and iterate. What do we have? Are we utilizing everything? Sort of putting all of this together, the design, the provision, and the monitoring. I'm a huge fan of reserved instances, but obviously you cannot utilize these unless you know that a VM or um, Azure SQL deployment is here to stay. So if you deploy a VM and, and you're unsure if you're planning on having this a year or two from now, there's no point in, in using reserved instances unless you know you can sort of float that RI to somewhere else. But beyond this, what else would you optimize or focus in optimizing? Oh, uh, that, that's a <laughs> like, a, you know, how long is a rope, right? It's uh, what would I optimize? Well, everything, um, because ultimately I pay the bill. So um, for me, it's it's good to optimize. So I I think this is uh, you know this is a a good thing and 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 that you said, but I uh, I also like the reserved instances, and I think. Uh, we could have a full episode on that uh, at some point because I also have experience, recent experience with using that uh, and or not using that depending on uh, situation. So I, I think this uh, this helps a, uh, a lot. Uh, but like for the optimization here, it's it's also like this is when it becomes tangible, right? So we did the design and, and provision and monitoring and things. And now it's time to optimize the cost. And there's one thing that you can do that is super easy in a way, uh, at least to get the understanding of where you can save stuff. Um, so it's like, okay, you're talking to the customer or internally you're talking to your stakeholders and we realize we need to optimize the cost because this is, we're not making as much money as we spend in the cloud. So that's a sinking ship. We need to figure that out or if, whatever reason you need to optimize. So where do you even start? Uh, perhaps you take a look at the diagrams you have or the architectures of a customer or your own setup try to understand the different things you have. Um, but then you should ask yourself, and I ask all my customers and, and the people I work with, like, what's your advisor score? And for me, this is super important, but also super interesting. Because like this approach is technical. So it's a low hanging fruit in the way that Azure Portal provides you with this data. So now when we're at the point of actually optimizing, there's you know a plethora of tools. And I, I think, you have a, a list already of good tools for, for you know, optimizing cost and, and working with cost. Specifically for realizing the cost you have right now, I think the advisor, Azure advisor is super good. So it's like, how do we save money by reducing wasted resources? Super tangible, right? And like underutilized VMs, you're only using 20% of the CPU and memory of all the VMs you have. Why? Why don't you reduce them if you never need it? And unattached disks, something that I see a lot. There's you know, a, a VM, you deleted the VM, but the disk remains, or you had containers with disks. And then, yeah, yeah things like that, like orphaned disks or unattached disks. They also come with a cost. And you might think, well, the cost of storage in a disk is not that big. But if you come to the situation that I was a couple of years back and you realize it's not a couple of disks, we had 600 orphaned disks for whatever reason. Because when we created something dynamically, we also attached a new SSD disk or a, a new type of disk, whatever that was, to it. Then we deleted the resource, but the disk remained. And this was you know, a legacy architecture. It was just happening by default. Nobody really knew it until we did a, a review and we started to like do a, a real overhaul of the system. So all of these things are super important to understand. And there's also some PowerShell scripts you can utilize to find all of those unattached disks and stuff like this. Um, you can also get recommendations like there's two big database servers, right? And I think I mentioned that in the beginning. What happens if you have a SQL server with a capacity for hundreds of millions of transactions and you know how much storage um, you have allocated and whatever, and if you only use 1% of that or 5% of that, why do you have it? So if you want to prepare for the future, prepare the scaling. Don't prepare by scaling up. 
prepare the actual scaling so you can scale up when it happens, but don't do the upscaling unless you actually need it. And, and the same, like, how much capacity do you have in compute services? And so with the Azure Advisor, you get all these things. And, and this is something that you may or may not have thought about. If you go to Azure Advisor in the Azure portal, you will see five different topics. These topics are high availability, security, performance, operational excellence, and cost. These are the five pillars we have in the WAF. It's exactly a match. So it, I don't know if, if everyone thought about that, um, but I think that's super important to, to think about. So when you work with the WAF, you also know, okay, now I'm on cost optimization. Let's go to Azure Advisor and look at the cost pillar because essentially you just click the button and it's going to give you a list of recommendations saying, we figured these are things that will save you cost, right? So that's super important to understand that the cost optimization pillar also exists in the Azure Advisor of sorts. So you go there, Azure Advisor in the Azure portal, click cost, and anything you see in there will tie directly to what we are talking about here in optimizing cost. So I think that's pretty good. And you know those recommendations, I use this a lot. It also comes back to reserved instances. Uh, so I can definitely recommend looking into that. Uh, recommendations from the advisor can recommend reserved instances to save X amount of dollars in Y amount of years. And you will get a number saying that, well, if you just reserve, because now you have used this for so long. And if you know for the next coming one year or three years, which is how you can allocate the reserved instances, one or three years, I know for three years I will be using this level of compute, then you can reserve them, right? And then you will get 50% off or whatever. You will get a, a much better build. Uh, if during that time you need to scale out more instances, that's fine. You can either allocate more and, and just pay the normal price for it, or you can do additional reserved instances, of course. So there's a, but like I said, let's not dive into reserved instances. We'll do a separate episode on that because that is super interesting. Um, so back to Azure Advisor, this is where it gets tangible. You drill directly into the Azure portal and understand how you can save the money. Um, and there's also a, a, something else other than the advisor that I find also interesting, perhaps also with reserved instances. There's this Azure cost management app in Power BI. I think you mentioned that sometime, um, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the episodes. And that also has quite some areas for reserved instances and things like that. So without getting too deep and technical about these things, uh, I would say for the last phase that we just talked about, optimizing the actual costs, um, you know, go to the cost center, go to cost management, take a look at the cost analysis, set up your budget alerts, set up your forecasting alerts, um, you know, create your views so you get the, the, so you can paint the picture that you need to see for your costs. And then use Azure Advisor, because then you will see tangible things tied directly to the WAF cost optimization pillar, uh, which is super cool. So when we now reach that point, and we've covered a lot of these things, and you know now people can go back and take a look at the WAF and the cost optimization, um, what additional tools exist? So if we want to round this off in a little bit, what, what additional tools do people need to take a look at? So... The first tool I'd like to highlight is, is already built into Azure Advisor. So as you said, when you open Azure Advisor, you'll have the categories for optimizing cost and security and everything else. But that might be an exhausting list, especially for security, perhaps operational excellence, sometimes for cost as well. Because you go to Azure Advisor, you click on one of those, it gives you 57 different recommendations. And then you sort of immediately know that, okay, my week will be spent on just going through these and, and fixing things. So what I do often with this, especially with cost and security is, I try to identify first through cost management, the resource groups belonging to different projects that are consuming the most, perhaps the most cost or something else. Then I go to those resource groups manually in Azure portal, and under monitoring, there's something called advisor recommendations. And when you click on this, it's giving you the same recommendations, but filtered down automatically for that selected resource group. So if you're getting 57 or 60 
different uh, cost recommendations in Azure Advisor. When you go to one resource group, you might only get two. And it's much easier now to focus on those two because you know how they relate to a specific service. So I would once again stress that beyond Azure Pricing Calculator, Azure Advisor, and Cost Management, those three tools already built in to Azure Portal, those would be perhaps the top three things you should be using on a weekly basis. Anything else? Yeah, like you mentioned, the new Cost Insights is pretty cool. That's, that's great. Um, you have the cost allocations, which is, I think, only for EA customers. But I think these things are, are good. One thing that I come back to a lot is also the well-architected review. And, and that's an assessment for, for all the pillars in the WAF. One of those pillars being cost optimization. So you can also do the Azure well-architected review. You take the assessment and then you answer a bunch of questions. And these questions can be like really anything. And, and I think, like for example, how do you govern budgets and application lifespan for this workload? It's not super technical. It's more like, have you thought about these things? How do you plan for these things in your organization? How do you get the, these things working? So take a look at that. We'll put the link of that in the show notes as well. The Azure Well-Architected Review, which is an assessment. I use this a lot and I come back to it and I redo it because we change and we optimize and we, we learn. And as, as time goes, maybe I come back in a quarter and I do it again so I can understand if I actually improved, which I usually do. But some things might have changed uh, for the better. Some things might have been overlooked. Or you made a plan and you realize when you do the next assessment, ah, darn, we didn't have time to go through these things. And now let's prioritize that for the coming period. So it's also something that we tie into our OKRs. And, and like when we break down OKRs to very technical things, technical goals, this is something that we can use. So it's pretty, uh, pretty great. Makes sense. Makes sense. I'm, I'm really happy because I'm now understanding more about cost optimization in WAF. And it didn't mean I did not understand how cost works in Azure, but now deep diving through everything that's ha that, that has been designed and written for WAF, it, it gives me more insight into understanding the different aspects of cost beyond just the technical tools. There's so much planning and designing that you can do upfront and then monitoring and opt optimizing while you're doing this on a daily basis. Alrighty. So the last thing we have to wrap up the episode is the unexpected question. And, and based on my calculations, Toby, this week, it's going to be your turn to ask me the unexpected question. Okay, I, I think I've got one here. So if someone asked you to be your apprentice and learn everything that you know, given you know, time constraints and reality, Right. It's, it's not like, hey, I, you can plug into the matrix and, and give all the, all the brain power away. But if someone asked you to be your apprentice and learn everything that you know, what would you teach them? Given, let's say they will be your apprentice for five years, just to take a number. Five years, you will have an apprentice. What would you teach them? Oh, this is an interesting question. I, I have so many thoughts on this, but I'll, I'll aim to keep this short. So... Whenever I feel somebody is, is perhaps willing to learn or, or is, is willing to put in the time and effort on, on, on learning something that I could perhaps teach them, uh, first, I'd probably ask them to read the book uh, Deep Work by uh, Cal Newport. It's a great book on, on how do you focus, how do you actually get stuff done. And, and after that, I'm... I'm personally, I'm a huge fan in, in trying to find the way, what's the best way for you to learn. Some people learn by reading. I'm one of those people. Other people learn by looking somebody else doing it. And, and, and then there's different other models of learning. So I'd, I, I'd perhaps my approach would be a sort of an overload and, and having a bit too much to chew on, but still maintaining sanity in, in, in that. Sort of like, okay, let's get you down the road on learning these, doing these certifications, uh, prepping for that, learning that, reading that, not all at the same time, but sort of designing the weeks, the coming weeks to be full enough so that you're continuously learning. And that's something I feel is not happening that much anymore. And my, my experience has always been that when you have a bit too much to learn, 
the learning becomes more optimized. But if I give you a week to read one document, you will leave that on the last minutes and, and you're not really digesting all of that, what's in there. So this would be an interesting uh, experience for sure. And uh, I've, I've had the experience with a couple of professionals to sort of share my insights and my experience for a couple of weeks with them. And it's delightful to see that somebody's picking up the pieces that took you a long time to learn, but now you're sort of condensing that perhaps knowledge or wisdom to somebody else, and it's much faster for them. And that's perhaps what I feel it's all about in IT and technology. You need to have somebody who can sort of compress and share the essential so that you can build on top of that. All right, that makes sense. That's a great answer. Thank you. Alrighty. So this was episode 121 on cost optimization in, in VAF. I am sure that in the future episodes, we will focus on the different pillars as well. Make sure to check the show notes. I, I will aim to put a picture of the cake there as well. And we hope you join us next week. All right. Until then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.